Hi everyone, and welcome to our latest Risk and Regulation Rundown podcast. I'm Andrew Strange, your regular host, and as usual, we're recording remotely, so please note this might impact our sound quality. In today's episode, we're discussing ESG, Environmental, Social and Governance. I know this is an area we covered back in July last year, but this has actually been one of our most popular episodes, and given that it's a really fast-moving topic, I thought it would be a good time to return to it again. I'm delighted to be joined by John Williams, a partner in our sustainability and climate change practice and a member of the FSB's Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. I'm also joined by Luke Nelson from our Regulatory Insights team, who leads on ESG and banking. So, John, let's start with you. ESG has been a, a regulatory priority for a few years now, but it's one that continues to gather momentum, particularly in the run-up to COP26 in November. Can you start off by setting the scene for us a little in terms of what stage policymakers, as well as firms themselves, are at in their ESG journey? Well, hi, Andrew, and it's a really great question to ask, and I'm not surprised that ESG is the most popular podcast because it is probably the most important issue uh, that firms are facing at the moment. Um, I'm going to start actually with the firms and then with the policymakers because um, you could argue for the last 20 years, uh, firms have been you know, thinking about how ESG impacts them. But for much of that time, uh, you know, when, when I started at HSBC, the concern was about association with a company or a project that had negative environmental and social impacts that could reputationally transfer to the firm. That has really changed, I think, over the last five years for probably two or three reasons. Firstly, um, you know, investors in financial institutions have been asking the question, you know, how does, for example, climate change impact the value of assets you have on your balance sheet? Or how do your policies around diversity and inclusion or human rights or modern slavery have an impact on, on you as a, as a bank financially? Um, I think the other area though is absolutely the regulators. Uh, and really on the heels of the TCFD, uh, you know, regulators around the world have been focusing on climate change and in particular, the risks that that poses to individual firms, but to the market systemically. Um, and so the UK Prudential Regulation Authority has taken something of a lead here uh, in terms of the work that they're doing uh, with banks and insurers this year, um, and certainly, uh, you know, the requirements to embed climate change fully into risk management frameworks this year, um, the, the mandatory disclosure for premium listed firms. These are all things that are sort of piling up on the to-do list of financial firms at the moment. Thanks, John. Yeah, I'm sure there is an awful lot going on there, but it feels to me like there's a bit of a, a strategy play here too, um, which I think is probably an important aspect of the focus on net zero that we're seeing. I know lots of firms are making commitments on net zero. How are you seeing firms think about that and their corporate strategy? So uh, I said on a webcast that we did a couple of weeks ago um, that, you know, we need to put some uh, clothes on the naked emperor. Uh, what did I mean by that? Well, what I actually meant was that, yes, there are many firms and many companies making net zero commitments. Um, you know, some sort of two and a half thousand uh, have made commitments to date. Um, but actually, what I'm seeing is a number of investors and a number of other observers saying a commitment in 2050 doesn't to me feel like the action that's needed in 2021, 2025, 2030, etc. So, you know, what is beginning to happen uh, is that um, firms are having to think about what does my net zero commitment mean for me today? What does it mean within five years? What does it mean by 2030? Uh, and it's timely to think about that because as policymakers meet in Glasgow at COP26 in November, 
you know, two things will be happening. Firstly, they'll be asking countries to raise their ambition and set more stringent carbon reduction targets. And secondly, to get to a point where we are well on the way to one and a half degrees by 2030. That has to translate, therefore, into shorter term regulation and shorter term guidance, but also shorter term strategic planning. Um, the other comment I'll make is in many ways we have a cart before horses problem. What do I mean by that? Not to overdo anecdotes on this uh, podcast. Um, most firms would like to be able to set up um, the right vision, the right strategy, the right operating model to deliver over the next two to three years on their ESG um, strategies and their, their net zero commitments. But the regulator is really saying, look, we don't have a lot of time to get this right, probably to business cycles. And we really want to start moving on regulation, particularly financial market regulation. And so, you know, the PRA, the FCA, um, you know, Department of Work and Pensions are putting much tighter deadlines on financial firms and on pension funds, um, you know, in many ways ahead of the ability for them to put in place a strategy and the right operating model, because clearly failing to meet regulatory requirements, you know, is a bit like my son not completing his homework. He's likely to get an F grade. Thanks, John. Okay, so Luke, turning to you, I mean, we can talk about the grading on your homework, or we can have a chat about the size of your horse and cart. I mean, John's given us some really useful wider context there, but I'm aware there's a really busy regulatory agenda that we're also having to deal with. The, the recent grid document produced by, by uh, jointly by the regulators seemed to set out a, a huge number of upcoming regulatory initiatives with a number of them actually due later on this month of June after we do this, after we do this recording. Given that there's so many potential publications slated for this month, well, what are we expecting to see? And what are the, or I dare, dare I say, highlights that firms should be looking out for? Well, hi, Andrew. And I think, you know, it was it was really interesting to see that grid. And for, for listeners who aren't familiar with the grid, it's 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 essentially the, the list of everything that's coming out from all the different regulators um, in, in the next um, quarter. So I, 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 I looked down that list and, it usually we get sort of a, a, a lot of um, conduct and prudential regulation and a bit of ESG at the bottom. And this time it was ESG at the top and ESG was by far and away uh, the, the biggest section in the grid. So there is a lot coming and, and a lot coming this this month in, in, in June. Um, so the first thing that, that we're expecting um, is the next phase of the, the government's rollout of making TCFD mandatory for different types of companies. And this will see the FCA publish a, a couple of consultations. So first of all, for asset managers, life insurers, and FCA regulated pension schemes. So bring them into, in, into the, uh, the scope of mandatory TCFD disclosure. And this is gonna be the first time that we see FCA rules on the TCFD. So we, we've seen the amendments to the listing rules for, for the premium listed companies, but for the first time, we'll see how the FCA translates those rules, um, uh, tra translates the TCFD into its rules. So I think that's gonna be really interesting to, to see. The, the other thing on TCFD we're gonna get is, is broadening out the scope um, of listed issuers who are within the mandatory TCFD regime. So we started with the premium listed issuers and we're now gonna to get to, to, a, to a broader um, population of, of listed companies. The FCA and PRA um, are, are putting out or are due to put out um, a discussion paper uh, in June two on diversity. 
So yeah, we're, we, we've, we've been pretty focused on climate change as a, as a regulatory topic in, in, in UK regulation in particular, um, but diversity is, is, is really starting to creep up the agenda. So the regulator's been giving some speeches about actually diversity is a regulatory issue. Um, and we're going to see um, some, some initial thoughts from the regulator on, on what that means um, for, for the FS industry. And we're also going to get a, um, a data request. So the, the regulators are going to send out, uh, and we think this is going to happen either in June or July, uh, uh, a data request to, to some of the largest firms to um, reveal uh, the, the state of play on, on diversity. So I think that's going to be really interesting to, to see. Another thing that we're expecting in June, it's a, it really is a packed month. Um, from the FCA are uh, guiding principles for um, sustainable um, funds. So, so this is really the, the FCA's attempt to support consumer access to um, sustainable investment products um, and, and really to try and combat the, the risk of, of greenwashing. So we're, we're not sure what form this is going to take. It could be guidance, it could be a, a dear CEO letter, um, but we, we, we certainly know it's coming and it's the first step um, that, that the UK regulators are taking to, to really make sure that there's um, clear disclosure, clear metrics, um, and that the data that asset managers are using um, is, is assured and they've got confidence over it. So, so that will be an important development for, for, for the asset management community. The final thing I'll, I'll touch on is, is the taxonomy. So not necessarily um, expecting anything on, on, on that this this month in, in June, um, but we are um, keeping a close eye on what the UK is doing with regard to, to the taxonomy. Um, so the, the, the plan as it stands at the moment is for the UK to issue a, a consultation paper on its own um, technical screening criteria um, either later this year um, or, or early next, but work is very much underway through the Green Technical Advisory Group, um, which is being set up to really kick the tyres on the EU's um, taxonomy. So, so lots going on. Um, th those are just some of the issues that, that were contained within the grid. Um, and um, we'll, we'll see more very soon on, on those key pieces. Thanks, Luke. Yeah, really interesting. And I, I suppose there were alarm bells going off in my head there when you were talking about various regulators. Uh, and some of those sound like kind of UK initiatives. Some of them sound European. Some of them sound like almost global standards as well. Uh, my own experience in areas of regulation that I work in is that international divergence is something that in a post-Brexit world is in becoming increasingly challenging for firms. Is this all consistent or are we seeing divergence across some of these initiatives too? You're spot on, Andrew, and and I certainly know from talking to clients that fragmentation um, is is a key issue. Um, there's a lot of concern about additional costs, additional operational complexity, and so so look, I think there is a, a a general desire to achieve as much international um, convergence as as possible. But of course, the reality is that. Um, regulators are operating in different markets and different economies and and have got exi different existing regulatory frameworks to, to to play with so so we are starting to see different approaches being taken so just to, to bring that to life I think um, you know the EU has taken a much more prescriptive approach to, to ESG regulation so if you look at things like the sustainable finance disclosure regulation if we look at the the taxonomy regulation uh, whereas the UK is 
I think taking much more of a principles-based approach, allowing more room for proportionality. And I think as we see things like the the, the way the UK develops the, the taxonomy, um, the UK is is keen, and this is part of a, you know, there's a there's a broader um, political pressure to to um, really find the, the so-called Brexit dividend. But the UK is 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 keen to explore ways to um, improve on, on on what the EU has done and make it um, more um, applicable for 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 the UK market. So, what we're likely to see is actually some changes coming through um, to to through through the Green Technical Advisory Group, all with the great intention of making this better for firms. But actually, the unintended consequence is that there's a fragmented regime. There's two regimes to to comply with, or more, as um, firms are operating across different um, jurisdictions. So all eyes really um, on on how much can be done internationally and and, and on the taxonomy. Um, a lot of work is being done through the International Platform for Sustainable Finance, trying to achieve a common ground taxonomy. Um, but it remains to be seen how how much um, alignment we're we're going to get. Um, a big push from from the UK, and particularly with his G7 hat on, and and in lead up to to COP26 to try and make some progress. Um, but but we'll see where we get to. Goodness, thank you very much, Luke. So, John, uh, turning back to sort of UK specific issues, I mean, the Bank of England's climate stress tests are another important initiative, uh, mainly for for the largest banks and for insurers, and they're meant to be starting later on this month in June. Um, how have you seen firms prepare for this, and, and what's the outcome likely to be? Well, I think what I'm seeing is, you know, firms uh, really sort of focusing on their preparations and trying to understand what is required. You know, this is going to be quite different. Normally, when banks do a stress test, you know, they're able to look at the uh, historic data. So, for example, the impact of an interest rate rise on loan losses in a mortgage book, for example, and they can run those stresses because they've got historic data. The problem with climate is that you don't have the historic data and therefore they're having to use forward looking scenarios and they're having to extend those scenarios into um, economic impact. So, for example, what would a higher carbon price do to the price of oil? And then you can put that through an oil price shock stress test, for example. Um, so, you know, I think there is quite a lot of gaps in the methodologies. Um, there will be uh, gaps in the sort of, um, you know, completeness of scenarios and certainly gaps in data. I mean, one bank that we were working with was trying to get accurate carbon emissions data out of its commercial loan book, and they got two and a half percent of their clients were able to provide that data. And this was, you know, mid-market and small market companies. You know, the, the PRA has been, you know, really helpful. Uh, you know, they're expecting firms to do somewhat more than the 2019 insurance stress test but you know next week they'll be releasing uh, you know, more information um, just to support the uh, the stress test and so you know that the PRA is trying to do what they can to facilitate uh, firms to have a successful stress test what do I think the outcome will be well I think the first outcome will be it's a lot harder to do than people think the second outcome will be there'll be a number of gaps in the results um, but I think the third outcome will be that both the firms and the PRA will understand what it takes to get to a level of stress test with a financial firm where you might begin to say, well, how would we, for example, attach regulatory capital to it? And I think we are some way from there because, as I say, the methodologies and the data, are not just the climate data, but particularly the client level data is still, you know, full of holes. I will not make an anecdote about a certain type of cheese.
Thanks, John. That's great. No, no more anecdotes, please. Um, okay, um, let's turn Luke to to something else now. So um, the social elements that the S in ESG are really important. Clearly, uh, COVID nineteen has been a big catalyst for a lot of the work that firms have been doing around thinking about social purpose and reputation. How are we seeing that progress as we move into the recovery phase? Well, Andrew, I think you're you're absolutely spot on. Um, there's been so much attention on on the e of esg and and, and climate change within that as the main issue um particularly from regulators but we are now starting to see um a, a greater focus on the s the, on the social issues i think um, partly that's COVID. partly definitely had a, a, an impact on uh, for for fs firms thinking about what was the role they played in the pandemic what's their role in the recovery really what's their role in in society and that's that's really leading to um, an examination of, of purpose, um, often a, a new articulation of purpose, and, and really getting purpose embedded in, in the broader um, corporate strategy. I think from a, from a regulatory perspective, um, social issues present challenges that are, that are quite distinct from, from environmental. So, um, you know, I think the the success if you like of 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 climate regulations so far has really been built on the fact that there is more or less a, a consensus globally on on what needs to be done and and it is measurable john's just talks about some of the the challenges with with the data but fundamentally it is something that that is measurable i think when it comes to to social issues um they are often qualitatively evaluated um, there's there's far less consensus on on outcomes. I think the uh, the, the the sustainable development goals provide a, a a very useful starting point, but there's no real, from a regulatory perspective, agreement on on the tools that should be used to to try and encourage um, the, the the social outcomes that that people want to see, and actually which social issues. Um, people want to prioritize. I mean, John John referred to sort of modern slavery um, earlier on. We're seeing a lot of focus on on diversity and inclusion. Yeah, th there are so many different social issues, and and there isn't really the the focus on on one that we see um, with with climate change. Having said that, I think you know there there are some some live regulatory issues, particularly um, for 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 the FCA, that are that are very much about social issues. So um, a big debate going on at the moment around sort of access to cash. Um, and, and actually thinking about um, that as a social issue. Um, there's a, a very interesting debate around consumer duty and, and, and what um, uh, duty firms have. And I think that, that you know, you can see that through a social lens and clearly diversity inclusion, which is a, a really um, a hot topic for the FCA and, and will become more important. I think the other thing I'd, I'd say on this is that, you know, aside from regulation, there's, there's definitely a, a huge role that, that um, states and governments have to play in, in, in achieving positive social outcomes. And I think there you get quite quickly to thinking about, well, what's the what's the tax contribution from the from the FS sector? Um, and I think for, for a lot of um, FS firms, that will be part of the focus when they're thinking about the SVSG. And, and I think with with that in mind, later uh, in June, we've got the, the G7 meeting uh, down in Cornwall, and they're going to be looking very closely on, on, on what to do in the issue of multinational tax contribution. So I can see this as an issue um, that, that is going to, to bubble up um, for, for FS firms in, in the near future.
Thank you, Luke. Yeah, really interesting the the, the tax angle that you're right that, that will emerge from that too. I mean, we we've covered a a load of ground in the, our discussion so far. Uh, a very simple question to both of you, but maybe Luke will come to you first. Um, of all the initiatives we've talked about, uh, and all that firms need to contend with in the ESG space, where do you where are you seeing sort of the biggest challenges for our clients? And I think crucially, where are the biggest opportunities? So yeah, I think look one of the one of the challenges that I'm definitely seeing uh, among the clients I'm talking to is just how do we deal with the scope and complexity of of regulatory change? Um, so so ESG regulation is 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 horribly complex, and it's um, particularly in in the EU context really interacting with a lot of the existing regulatory frameworks so with MiFID, with the Insurance Distribution Directive, with um, the Capital Requirements Directive. So, so there's a lot of complexity there to, to deal with. And then just the, the, the sheer um, uh, number of initiatives, of new initiatives too, leads to, to, to a, a challenge. And, and then that coupled with the fact that whether it's about risk management or whether it's about disclosure to regulators or to clients, it all comes back to data. And John um, really uh, very well described some of the data challenges that we're seeing. But right across all of the regulatory challenges that firms have, data's at the heart of it and the data isn't, isn't quite there yet. So that, that is a, a huge issue. I think on the, the opportunity side, I think there's, there's, there's two things I'd highlight. The first is, you know, that regulatory challenge, I think firms who are looking upon this as a commercial opportunity, as an excuse to really get to know their clients better, to understand what their clients need to transition to a lower carbon economy um, through the process of gathering data, will will really be the ones who who benefit. So there's there's enormous commercial opportunities for firms who see this as a, a strategic opportunity, see regulation as being a a strategic imperative rather just rather than just a, a compliance challenge and, and cost. I think the other thing I just mentioned on on opportunities is actually yeah the firms that are that are doing this well and particularly coming back to the points I was making around purpose are actually seeing a benefit in terms of talent attraction and, and, and retention. So particularly um, with, with younger people coming into their organisation, but not just younger people, um, we're, we're seeing that as, a, as a, a benefit that's being felt already out in the market. Brilliant. Thank you, Luke. Uh, and John, do you agree with Luke or has he missed anything? Yeah, I, I do. And, um, you know, I think he's sort of covered very much the, the risk and regulation uh, and the talent angles very well. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the role of the financial sector is to finance, um, you know, economic growth and economic transition. And we've seen this in previous, you know, revolutions, whether it's the industrial revolution or the technical revolution. You know, climate change is going to be at least as big as both of those put together. And therefore, how banks manage that transition, both in terms of helping their customers move from where we are today in terms of our resource consumption model and the social impact it has to one in the future, you know, which is you know, decarbonized, fair and balanced with nature, if I can put it that way, is going to be really important. And therefore, knowing their customers well, knowing what their customers need to do to move down that trajectory and supporting them and recognizing that some sectors will decline and some sectors will grow. And therefore, how do they manage that dynamic, whether it's with a large corporate that's going through a transition or a, a, an employee of a company that maybe has to reskill. Um, and, and actually, you know, the way the banks have supported their customers through COVID, you know, both with 
um, you know, channeling government support, but also the support they've given, for example, on mortgage repayment holidays, is a really good test of when financial firms are in that position where they know they have to support a transition, they do it really well because they actually say, how do we help the customer over this um, you know, bump in the road or this major uh, you know, change in their fortunes? Um, I think the other area that I would really uh, focus on is uh, you know, having the right talent. You know, there just aren't enough people uh, with good uh, ESG skills in the market, um, and there will need to be massive upskilling and training of people in banks, insurers, and asset managers if they're going to have those conversations with the client. Well, and I hope this podcast can form the, the basis of some of that. It's a very, very um, early level training for some people as well. Um, so thank you both. Uh, I want to just end on, on a final question. We've talked uh, a lot about the initiatives and issues that firms are prioritising today, now, and certainly ever June by the sounds of it. But if we look ahead beyond this year, what's further on the horizon that firms need to think about longer term? Uh, Luke, I'll start with you. Thanks, Andrew. I mean, yeah, difficult to look beyond this year because there's so much happening this year. But um, I guess a couple of things that that I'd say thinking about um, next year. The first is really to to, to keep a close eye on what's going on uh, in in the US and, and in terms of US regulation. So we've seen the, a, a huge change that was highly unsurprising given the change of administration in in the US. Um, and, and, and really the Biden administration is not messing about. We, we, we've recently seen a, a, an executive order focusing on the, the um, climate related financial risks. Um, we will see action, more action from, from uh, US regulators soon. And US regulation, as we saw after the financial crisis, has quite a, a habit of um, sort of extending its tentacles around the globe. So I think we might see some extraterritorial impact from what US regulators um, will, will do on, on this agenda. So I think that's definitely one theme um, to, to watch out for. I think the other one really is, you know, we've got this this year in the UK regulatory context, there's, there's a lot of deadlines, there's a lot of new initiatives. I think next year we'll start to move into the phase where regulators are really taking a look at firms and thinking, right, have you embedded your um, approach to, to managing climate risk? How well have you done it? Um, are you giving the right information to investors on your ESG product strategy? So a whole raft of thematic and supervisory work, I think, will, will really kick off in earnest next year. And, and that will, I think, you know, be the start of a process of understanding what best practice looks like um, when, when firms have had a few years to, to really get their, their heads around some of the, the risks, the, the, the obligations that, that they have. So I think that's, that's the other thing I would, I would sort of call out as, as, as the thing to watch and prepare for next year. Thank you. Uh, and John? Yeah, I think a couple of thematic areas and then uh, uh, one issue we've already touched on. So thematically, uh, you know, I think the next environmental issue is going to be nature. Uh, if you think about it, Lord Stern issued the Stern Review in 2006 and the TCFD came along in 2015. Yet within one year, we've had the Descopter review on nature um, and the task force on nature-related financial disclosures, you know, within weeks of each other. So I think that um, nature will be the next big um, environmental issue. And actually, conserving nature enables us to absorb carbon emissions, which helps deal with the climate crisis. So they are joined at the hip. The other area I think is going to be inequality. The one thing that COVID has shown is that actually 
um, you know, there has been an increase in inequality, which was already accelerating in the way without COVID. And many development gains in developing countries have been set back by maybe one or two decades. And I think particularly you're going to see income inequality and racial inequality is becoming, you know, really quite flashpoints as we are seeing in various parts of the world at the moment. And if the financial sector can be the sort of pallbearer for good behaviour around those two uh, areas in terms of its own employment practices, its own lending and investment policies, and critically the disclosure of how they're managing those issues, then I think, you know, they'll really talk to their purpose about, um, you know, the really positive role that financial firms can fulfil. And then the one area we've um, touched on is data, and I would see data as a valuable asset. Those financial firms that have the very best data on these issues as it relates to their clients and to their products and services will be those that will win out on these issues. And I would argue will win out economically as well as environmentally and socially. So cash used to be king, data is now king. Thank you, John. Uh, and thanks to you both, actually. It's been really insightful to hear your thoughts on the breadth of the ESG agenda, um, from this month's regulatory initiatives to some of those longer-term challenges, developments, and opportunities for firms too. To our listeners, I hope you found this episode interesting and helpful. Please do subscribe to future episodes and rate and review this series as it really helps other people to find us. And I'll be back with our next episode next month. Thank you. <laughs>